0: Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. We want people to come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord and then live their life for Him. Today, we're going to take a break from our, our series to the, the New Testament book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Joshua chapter 5. It's in the, in the Old Testament, pretty close to the beginning if, if uh, you're familiar or not familiar with your Bible. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, 14, and 15 is going to be our text this morning, and I'm calling this sermon, What Makes God's Man God's Man. Well, since today is Father's Day, I decided I want to take a break from our series to the book of Acts and preach a message specifically geared towards the fathers and the future fathers that are with us this morning. You know, with that being said, if we could just pause for a minute, and would all the fathers, please stand, and so we can recognize you this morning? Please stand. (laughs) Thank you, men, this morning. You know, on Mother's Day at church, it's pretty much a guarantee that a very sweet and encouraging and passionate message to all the mothers is going to be preached on Mother's Day. And that's pretty much what I, I tried my very best to do back in May. And when Father's Day comes around, all the fathers are asked to stand, like we just did, and then be recognized. And maybe there'll be a message preached to the fathers, and maybe it's going to be business as usual. And really, my plan was to continue in, the, in the, the, our series to the book of Acts. That was my plan. Um, but I changed plans, okay? And I changed plans because I've been very convicted lately concerning men, okay? I've been convicted by fathers that are not acting and behaving like fathers that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ should be acting. Now, that's not all of you men, but there's just a select few that I'm thinking of that have really convicted me in my heart lately. Okay, I've noticed that there's quite a few men that really aren't acting like men, and really they're just acting like a bunch of little boys that are going around parading themselves in, in big boy clothes and not being the men that God has called them to be. Dads, we are called by a holy God to stand the line and to be the front defense so that Satan doesn't take out our families. We are called to live a life of faith and show our children and our families what, what a faith-filled life looks like. So today, this message is largely directed to the men in the audience. And it might be a little more confrontational, a little more yelling, a little more my dad voice might be used than, than usual. And somebody might be wondering, well, how come the ladies get the, the encouraging and, and sweet and uplifting message and the dads get a lot of more in-your-face message? And here's my answer, and it's not exactly a politically correct answer in this day and age, but here it is, because we're different. Men and women are very different. We're made by God, we're made differently, and so thus we respond differently. You know, if I want to, to, my wife to do something, I can never, ever, ever speak to her in a harsh tone. My, my, my way I have to speak to her has to be soft and, and caring if I want my wife to respond. Now, when I speak to my boys... <laughs> They're going to get a different voice than, what I, than I speak to my wife, right? You know, I, I coach wrestling. I've been doing this for, for about two decades now. And when I use my coaching voice, it's not, come on, guys, you can do it. Oh, I believe in you. No. I don't speak to wrestlers that way. I don't speak to them that way. There's going to be some yelling. And there's going to be some screaming going on on the mat because that's what, the way men respond. Anybody ever seen how Marines speak to one another? Why do they do that? It's not, oh God, I believe in you. You can do it. No, Marines don't talk like that. It's in your face and it's screaming and yelling. Why do Marines speak to each other like that? I'll tell you the reason. Because Marines have a job. And the job they have is to be prepared to go to war when their country calls them to go to war. Well, guess what, dads? Our families are at war. And we've been at war since Genesis chapter 3. And the war hasn't stopped and the war has not let up since then. And it's not going to let up or stop until Jesus has called us home. Dad, you're the front line to keep the, the family together. Dad, you are the one that are called by God to stand on the wall and to not leave your post. Do not leave your post and keep fighting and show your family how it's, what it looks like to fight in a godly Christian manner. So today, the message we're going to read about a man that is exactly the type of man that I'm talking about, the type of man that, that we should all strive to be like, that we should emulate, we should look at and study it and be, do our very, very best to be that kind of man. So with that, let's pick up our Bibles, men. And read in Joshua chapter 5 beginning in verse 13. It says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him. And, and, And he said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the Lord's army. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on, the, on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You know, when I read about this account about Joshua, there's a number of things that jump out at me concerning Joshua. One of the first things that really jumps out at me is that Joshua acted like a man who was under authority. Okay, now you got to realize that Joshua, he is the commander of all of Israel. He is the top dog. He is numero uno of all the men in all of Israel. He's in charge. So he's the boss, if you will. But at the same time, he acted like he was under the authority of God. You see, when God told Joshua to do something, he got it done. He, he, and that's, that's for all of us. You should be, you should be a man that, that fears God more than anything or anyone else. You know, and, that, and that's exactly the type of pattern Joshua was. There was no, God told him to do something. Hey God, you know, give me a minute and then I'll do that other thing. There was no in Joshua's life, hey, I got this other thing going on and I'm going to do that first and then I'll go and do that thing that you're telling me to do, God. No. There was none of that for a man like Joshua. You, know, God told Joshua, hey, I want you to go into the promised land and scout out what's, what's in there. And it was Joshua and Caleb that went to the promised land. They were the scouts. They, they went in and they came back with this great uh, the description of the promised land. They're like, man, there is, it's a land flowing with milk and honey and it is awesome. If you remember the other spies that went in, they came back and they're like, but there's giants in the land. and They're whining. And Joshua and Caleb are like, compared to Who? We got God on our side, and you're worried about a couple little giants? You see, God told Joshua, hey, I want you to go to the city of Jericho, and I want you to tear the walls down. Only you're not going to have any battering rams or siege machines. No, we're going to use clay jars and torches, and we're going to yell and scream, and the walls are going to fall down. Joshua said, okay. You see, Joshua, also there, there's a time when God told Joshua, hey, I want you to go and circumcise all the males with a flint rock. And Joshua got it done. Special level of commitment there for a guy like Joshua, right? Yeah. Can I have a scalpel? No, a rock. Whoa. Joshua is the guy that got the job done regardless of what, what else might happen. There was no hesitation for a man like Joshua. You know why I'll say that? Because he's fearless. He knew God is in control. And he knew he's going to obey Yahweh regardless of how the outcome might be. In the text we just read, verses 13, 14, 15, Joshua has just crossed into the promised land. He's enjoying everything that God has promised. It's awesome. And he looks up and he sees a man. Look in verse 13, the second half. It says, and he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him. This brings me to my first point this morning. Point number one God's man does the right thing regardless of the situation. Did you notice that Joshua went to him? A man standing with a sword in his hand. You see, Joshua is not a passive man. And I think this this line, this text in our Bible, it really defines the type of man that Joshua is. He's definitely not passive. Because he sees a man standing with his sword drawn, and Joshua goes to him. I don't know about you guys, it makes me think of some of my favorite movies in the Bible. Or movies in the Bible, just movies, excuse me. Uh, One of my favorite movies, True Grit. Anybody love True Grit? Yeah, and I don't care, John Wayne or the remake, they're both awesome, okay? And the, the scene I'm thinking of, you got, you got uh, Rooster Cogburn on one side of the valley and four mounted guys, and he just puts the reins the, the in his mouth, and he just goes at them, just blasting. Why I love that? Because he's absolutely fearless. How about Tombstone? Any Tombstone lovers? Yeah. Wider walks into a bar, disarms a man, and then throws him out of the bar by his ear because he's fearless. How about uh, Unforgiven. William Money, he goes into a bar that has 30 armed men that are using his friend as decoration, and he takes them all out because he's fearless. I see a reoccurring theme in some of my favorite movies, when they're all westerns, but <laughs> men are willing to do something that, are, that there's definite possible death coming, but they do it because they're fearless? You see, I think we as men, we all want to be that type of man, and should we ever be in that situation and but here's the deal. We can never know if we're gonna be that type of man until you come face to face with that type of situation. One like Joshua's facing right now. And he's absolutely fearless. I, m- I remember there's a, a time I was coaching our boys, they were in wrestling, they were real little. And if you know Kamari, Kamari's the smallest follower of our boys, and there was a boy on the team that was terrified of Kamari. And if you know Kamari, you're like, terrified of Kamari? Come on, nobody's terrified of Kamari. But there was this boy that was terrified of Kamari, and every time he had to wrestle, he would literally just run in the opposite direction, just screaming and crying every time. And I'm a coach, you can't have that as, <laughs> as a coach. And so I had to take that little boy aside, and we went into the locker room. We sat down on the concrete floor, and I'm looking in my eye and eye, and I said, Hey, do you know the difference between being brave and being afraid? And the little boy said, well, if you're afraid, you won't do something. If you're brave, you'll, you'll do it. And I said, almost. And I used this illustration. I said, I'm terrified of spiders, okay, terrified. And if there's a big, hairy, nasty spider right in the middle of us, I'm still afraid of it, but I'm still going to kill it. And that's what makes you brave. So I said, so you can be afraid, but if you go ahead and do it anyways, that makes you brave. And with that, a little boy went up, and he went and wrestled Kamari. Now, I know that's a hokey story, and you're thinking, what does that have to do with anything, Pastor John? But here's my question to you men. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What, what is it that you know you're supposed to do, but yet you don't do because you're afraid? Are you afraid to go places that you know you're not supposed to do, but yet you'll go in there anyways? Because, after all, what might happen if you don't show up? Are you afraid to tell your buddies when you go to the barbecue, hey, I'm not going to have a beer, even though you promised your wife you're not going to have a beer, so you have one because, you know, you're afraid? Are you afraid to hold your family's hand when it comes time at the dinner table and bow your head and lead your family into prayer because you've never done that before? And after all, it might be kind of weird. Here's what I'll say to that. Who cares what someone thinks? Do the right thing all the time and let the chips fall where they may. Mark Twain said this, he said, courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. If we do the right thing all the time, God's going to eventually pick up the pieces that might come from the fallout. It may be painful to do the right thing, but in the end of ends, maybe even years later, God's going to honor the man that does the right thing instead of the easy thing that most men do. Read the second half of verse 13. It says, and Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversary? That brings me to my second point this morning. Point number two. God's man never tires of doing the right thing at all times. This is what Joshua does. He goes to this man, he basically says, friend or foe. He's calling out a man with a drawn sword. This is what I'll say about about Joshua. Joshua's a warrior. Joshua's a stud. He's relentless. He never tires of doing the right thing all the time. You know what I've noticed as a pastor? I've noticed that there're sometimes there's men that were doing the right thing at one time. They were leading their family. They were going to church. They were reading their Bibles. They were praying with them. Are you noticing that these are all past tense things? That's not by accident. They were going to maybe leave in a small group for a while, but then they stopped. You see, what happens for men is they were doing the right thing for a while, but then they just took a break. And then that break stretches stretches into several weeks, several weeks into a couple of months until eventually you're not even sure if he's a Christian if you didn't pass by the church and see his car there about twice a year. But here's the question. When do you get a break from being a man? you don't there's never a break you know I can think of a number of men in my life that were just giants in the faith that really showed me what this looked like because every time I saw these guys they're always doing something from the Lord there's a guy at our previous church uh, Mr. Blakely you guys remember Mr. Blakely I'm gonna get a little emotional here and cry men cry by the way You know, Mr. Blakely was always, like every Wednesday night, he's leading a little kid's uh, Bible study group, always teaching little kids about the Bible. If he wasn't doing that, he was organizing a slot car track race, and all the kids would be building their little cars, and they'd come and they'd race them. It was all ploy, because you're going to learn about the Bible when you do that. Here's the thing. Mr. Blakely had one bum leg. Okay, and I don't don't know if it was an accident or a birth defect. I don't know, but he would always just kind of drag this one leg with him wherever he went. And I remember one day, it was a hot day. Central Valley, California. I remember it was like 112 or something ungodly. It was horrible. And I pull into the church park, and there's Mr. Blakely painting the church curb. And this is, the picture painting a curb like, from here to Blair's. It's like, whoa, that, that's a hot day. And he wouldn't quit. Uh, and so the next, thing I, uh, next time I was like, you know, I'm too tired to do this. I thought to myself, you know what, Mr. Blakely would do that. He wouldn't quit. What's your excuse now, John? Because, and I'm going to say, Mr. Blakely was right, he was like that right up until Jesus called him to be home. And I'll say, is a man that didn't have an ounce of quit in him. Read what Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 9. It says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due seasons he will reap if we do not give up. You know, I think this world is in the state it's in right now because there's too many men that got tired and stopped leading their families. Again, they did it for a while, but then they stopped. They stopped because there's too many men that have too much quit in them. They quit on their wives. They quit on their kids. They quit on their grandkids. Who said this was going to be easy? It's not easy. You got to keep going and keep pushing and keep leading and not stopping. And the Apostle Paul said, I ran the race, I fought the good fight, because, I, because he was a man that didn't have any quit in him. So I guess to the ladies, here's the part of your message. If you're, looking for your, for, if you're the single ladies, you're looking for a man to marry, marry this kind of man. A man that loves Jesus and won't quit. And I think there are thousands upon thousands or millions of millions of men in this country alone that are basically asleep at the will they, they're, they're there, but they're not really doing anything as far as leading their family in righteousness. Maybe they were willing to confront issues. They were willing to, to, to lead their families in the way that honors God. And they did it for a while, but then they got tired and they stopped. Let me say, we cannot allow society to define what a husband, a man, a father is supposed to look like. Because what society would do, they would have us be sitting in the back seat and you know letting our wives lead our family. Anymore men aren't in the back seat. They're really in the trunk of the car. Here's our application, men. Don't stop leading your families. Don't stop loving your families. Don't stop showing your families what it looks like to, to live a godly life. To, to lead your family exactly the way Jesus has called us to do in ways of sharing our faith and serving our church. And here's the reason why, men, because if you lay down on the job, the generation coming behind us won't even show up for work at all. And I think that's the situation we're in right now as a, as a, as a society. Now, men, I'm not asking you to change the world, nor do I think you can. But we are told by a creator, God, that men are not to lay down on the job. And to do everything we can to teach and to reach the generation that's coming behind us. Then after you die, then it's their job. But that is not until you're dead. You know what that means? That means there's no retirement plan for God's man. It's not like you get to be 65 years old and then you get to take, take, you get a vacation, you get to retire from being God's man. Older men, the younger men still need you. So don't hang up your Bibles and go play golf for the next 20 years. Don't do that. The younger men need to hear about mistakes you've made. The younger men need to to be shown what it looks like to love your wife when tragedy comes. What does it look like to continue to love your wife and serve your wife when cancer comes? We need to see that. We need to know that you see the examples of what it looks like not to lay down and to keep fighting the good fight when the going gets tough. So we need you to not stop. Because if you do, the younger men will too. Keep reading, verse 14. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the Lord's army. The army of the Lord, excuse me. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Here's my third point this morning, point number three. God's man worships Jesus. You see, this is why I want you to know, real men worship Jesus. Here Joshua comes face to face with a pre-incarnate Christ. The theological big churchy word is called a Christophany. Because this is what we need to know. Jesus wasn't created at Bethlehem like the cults teach. No, Jesus existed before Genesis 1-1. There was never a beginning, there'll never be an end. Jesus is the eternal God. And so there's there's these moments in the Old Testament where Jesus shows up in the flesh, and that's called a Christophany. Joshua, his name in Hebrew is Yeshua. Well, if you're going to say Jesus' name correctly, pronounce it, it's Yeshua. So here, Yeshua, Joshua, comes face to face with the Yeshua, Jesus. And Yeshua, Jesus says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And some might argue that this isn't Jesus because he said he's the commander of the Lord's army. But please note what Joshua does when he comes face to face with this man. He falls to his face and he worships him. And then did you notice what the man did do or more accurately, what he didn't do? You're going to see this clearly in a minute. But there's some very liberal theologians that say, no, this is just an angel. Well, every single time an individual in our Bible tries to worship an angel, the angel stops the individual. But this man didn't stop Joshua, did he? And this this man allowed uh, Yeshua to worship him. And he did that because he's the only one worthy of worship. So here's a question to you, men. What do you worship? And I think the vast majority, if not all the men in the, in the room, would say, Well, I worship Jesus. Good. You should. What else do you worship? Every single one of us is guilty of worshiping something or someone in addition to Jesus. Do you worship football, baseball, basketball in addition to Jesus? Do you worship golf or fishing or hunting? Do you worship a car or a boat a something? And I think if most guys are being honest, the truth is we would say, no, we don't worship something other than Jesus. Anyone, know I think you're being truthful. You see, I don't think most guys worship something. I think most guys worship someone in addition to Jesus. And the someone is themselves. Men are very, very good at, and skilled at worshiping themselves. And I think we can clearly see this if you pull out your checkbook and see where all your money goes. If all your money goes to yourself, well, then you may be the God that you worship. Or what if we keep a time log of every minute of the day? If all your time goes to you, then you may be the God that you worship. Or how about this? If your God lets you go wherever you want and do whatever you want and say whatever you want to say and act however you want to act, well, then you may be the God that you worship. My point is this is not the type of man that Joshua is. The pattern of his life was he put the Lord first in all matters. Every aspect of his life is evidence of that. And Joshua asked this man, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the man, he answered Joshua. Let's read it, verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Point number four for us this morning. God's man's life is marked by personal integrity. Have you ever read this and kind of thought to yourself, what makes the ground holy? Well, if you're going to ask something like that, really you need to see um, where else in the Bible does something similar appear? Well, let me give you the, the first time it appears. In Exodus chapter 3 verse 5. This is, this is God speaking to Moses. And then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. The term holy ground, it's used in the New Testament also, if you're familiar with, we read about it back in Acts chapter 7, at the, st- at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was referring to Exodus chapter 3 when he used that term holy ground. It's used those two places and also right here with Joshua. You see, what makes this ground holy is not where it is, but who it is that's there. What makes a piece of ground holy is not its address, but whom is in attendance. In case you're not following me, what makes Cross Point Baptist Church is, is not holy because its address is 1101 Bighorn or 821 South 15th Street. No. What makes this place holy is the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let me ask you men something. Here's another question. Is your home built on holy ground? And before you answer that question, let me give you a hard, quest, a hard verse. This is a hard verse in the Bible. In Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor His ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Here's where I'm going with this, men. We are the gatekeepers of our homes. Okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is what I'm talking about. Maybe you've got this situation where your wife keeps your your home free from dirt, but it's God's man's job to keep the, the home free from filth. Men, we are the ones that, that are called by God to keep the filth out of our homes. You know, as a pastor, I've had to do a lot of marriage counseling. It's one of my least favorite duties as a pastor, but you have to do it. And I can think of a couple times that some, a couple came to me and their marriage was in terrible shape. And the reason it was in terrible shape, because they allowed something into their home that never, ever should be allowed to the home. And the very few times I'm thinking of right now, it was the wife's idea to, to do this thing or bring something into her home. And then the f- husband thought, well, if she's okay with it, I guess I'm okay with it. No. Men, we are the ones that go, no, sweetie. We, we can't be doing that. That's not, that's not allowable to, in our home. You see, when we make decisions like that to be passive and not say no, then our home is not built on, gro- on holy ground, spiritually speaking. Was that the type of man that Joshua is? Was that the type of pattern that we see in Joshua's life? I would say, no way. Read in Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15. This is Joshua. This is what the, the hallmark passage of Joshua. Joshua is speaking here. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in the sincerity and the faithfulness. Put away the gods from your father, sir, beyond the rivers in Egypt and, the, and serve the Lord and if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But for me and my house we will serve the Lord. You see, I hope you see here, see Joshua took responsibility for himself. He said, you choose who you want to serve. You go ahead and do that. But for me, my family, we're going to serve serve the Lord. And I hope you see the pronouns that he's using. He said, you choose whoever you want to. But for me, my family, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua's not the type of guy that's passive. Joshua's not the type of guy that skirted his responsibility. He took responsibility for his family. He stood up, he manned up, he took charge, and he took responsibility for what was going on in his own personal life and also of his family. Here's my point, okay? We can't take responsibility for our family if we're not first taking responsibility for ourselves. If you're familiar with your Old Testament, King David said to be one of the greatest kings in 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 the Old Testament, there's a time when he doesn't correct his son Absalom. He's got a son that is out of control, but yet he doesn't correct him. Why? Because his personal life was a wreck. And he'd be a hypocrite if he didn't, if he told his son to knock off what he was doing. Here's the deal, men. First, let's handle our own business, and then we'll be able to, to lead our families the way that God has called us to be. Let me share with you a statement of our Lord and Savior. Something Jesus said, and this is one of the hardest things that Jesus said anywhere in the Bible. It's found in Matthew 18, verse 5. Jesus says this, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. You know, when that text is preached, usually the preacher that's preaching, he's referring to false teaching. But consider this, men, your actions are the greatest influence in your children's life. I mentioned this statistic a few weeks ago, and I want to share it again because it's just so true. Statistics show when a child first comes to church, 3% of the time, the rest of the family will follow. When a mom is the first to attend church, 17% of the time, the rest of the family follows. But when a dad is first to attend church... 93% of the time, the rest of the family follows. Research shows that if you reach a child first with the gospel, 34% of the time, the rest of the family follows. If you reach the mom first, 42% of the time, the rest of the family follows. But if you reach the dad first, 93% of the time, the rest of the family follows. And I said it a couple weeks, I'm going to say it again. Dads, you are the spiritual rudder of your family. As you go, so the rest of the family goes. So if you want your kids to be living a faith-filled life, then you be living a faith-filled life. This just happened yesterday yesterday to me. And when it happened, I'm like, holy, there's my sermon illustration for tomorrow. Mike Sinclair loaned me his quad. He's got a big old sprayer on the back. And down our hill, I've got a ton of weeds I've got to spray. And so, man, it's so much easier to use that than my little backpack pumper. That would have taken me three weeks. But anyway, so I'm down using Mike's quad and spraying, and Kamari's right behind me on our quad. And I drive and spray, then drive and spray. He just, just following me everywhere I go, real slow. He just, every step along the way, and I said, I said, dude, what are you doing? He said, Dad, I'm just following you. It's cool to watch what you're doing. It's like, oh, I melt my heart, little buddy. That's our... Man, that's us. Our kids are following. Our kids are watching. You do it, your kids are going to do it. We have to be leading our families. We have to be doing it God's way because if we're not, statistically speaking, your kids aren't going to follow. We have to show them the way. And Jesus says, if you don't, it'd be better for you to have a great millstone fastened around your neck and be drowned in the depths of a sea. So what makes God's man God's man? We said it here. God's man never tires of doing the right thing. He he does the right thing no matter what. God's man's worship, Jesus, and his life is marked by personal integrity. So here's here's the last question. I'm always throwing questions at you. Here's the question. What if that's not you? Those four things. What if it's not you? What if you read about a man like Joshua and you say, that's not me at all? How do you change? Is it possible to change, or are you just simply stuck not being God's man? My answer is yeah, you can change. There is hope for you, and here's what it is your hope is Jesus. You see, you got to do exactly what Joshua did. Joshua could be this type of man because he submitted to the Father. And it wasn't a one-time deal for Joshua, no. This is the overall pattern of his life. I think each day Joshua got up, he wiped the sleep from his eyes. Before he put his sandals on his feet, he said, but for me, today I'm going to serve the Lord. When he got up for work on Monday, Joshua, he said, but for me, today I will serve the Lord. And on Tuesday, he got up and said, but for me, today I will serve the Lord. And on Wednesday, he got up and said, but for me, today I will serve the Lord. And every single day... It's not just a Sabbath day thing for Joshua. No, every single day he's saying that. So you can be a man like Joshua. I can be a man like Joshua. But first we've got to be submitted. Submit to the Father. And the only way you can know the Father is through his son, Jesus. You must realize that you're a sinner. But fortunately for us, that's exactly why Jesus came. He came for sinners. He came and He died in our place to take our place, to pay for our sins. And it's only through that can you even be capable of being God's man. And maybe you've done that. Maybe you trusted in Christ, but you're not living for Christ. Will that case change? Submit yourself to God when the music, you know, we only, we're going to end in an altar call like we do every single week. Well, you know what? That's why these steps are here. Every single week I call people, men and women, come forward and pray. Well, these steps should be littered with men each and every week, praying their hearts out, saying, I want to live for you, God. I want everything about me be for you. You can't be like that unless you're in submission to God. So with this altar, if that's you, then come and, you know, if you need a, a deacon or pastor, we'll be here, we'll pray with you. And there's just something about having another guy praying for you. Some people think, well, that, that's, that's not what men do. I'll say that's, a, that's about the most manliest thing anybody can do. So if you don't know Jesus, come on, let's talk about Jesus. Or at this altar, if you want to, to come forward and say, "I want to go, ba- I want to be baptized, I want to, I want to tell the whole world that this is what Jesus did for me. He died and rose again." We'll come down. Let's talk about this. Or maybe you want to join a church that that preaches the gospel, that helps men be men and lead their families in righteousness. Well, let's talk about this. Or again, if you just want to give your life to to Jesus and then serve Him and, and then everything you do. In a moment, we're going to have this altar call, and I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to stand and and make a decision. Let Let me pray for us. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you for a man like Joshua that shows us exactly what it looks like to be a man that honors you, Lord. So, Lord, I pray for every man that we will be like this, We will submit ourselves to you. We will lead our families for for you. Everything in our life will be about you. Lord, help us. We can't do it on our own. We have to have you. So Lord, I thank you for all the fathers that are taking this, this duty, this charge seriously. I thank you for them. There are so many in our church that are leading their families in righteousness. And Lord, my prayer for them is that you'll keep them bold, you'll keep them strong, you won't allow them to fall, you'll give them the strength to continue. And Lord, for any man that's maybe struggling, Lord, you sent your son Jesus. You sent Jesus Christ so that we could be that type of man, that we could all be that type of man. So speak to those that are maybe hurting right now. Let them know about your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this, we praise this, and we say this in his holy, precious, perfect name. Amen.